0: happy mother's day weekend to you all very grateful to have you here this weekend many of you are part of this church considering these seven words that jesus spoke from the cross we had the first one just two weeks ago jesus hung there and he prayed father forgive them for they know not what they do we consider there this prayer of forgiveness how for everyone who does belong to Jesus eventually returns to God saying, Father, forgive us, for we know what we've done. Last week, we considered the cross and we considered those three different crosses that stand there. Considered the cross of redemption, the cross of rejection, and the cross of repentance. Considered how a whole life with with God is available just with that one cross, that cross of repentance. And can I just can I just say, like, God is at work among us across this room. Um, last week, someone professed faith in the Lord Jesus, seeing the cross of rejection and the cross of repentance. Someone repented of their sins. They're not destined for that cross of rejection now. They're destined to join Jesus through his cross of redemption. Here we are. The third word from the cross you see it right here woman behold your son didn't even uh, try to plan it this way that this would be the word for us to consider on mothering weekend uh, here in the uk and with mothering weekend it probably brings up that whole host of emotions that have already been acknowledged some of us we think about our lives and our general circumstances and God feels very, very far away. For others of us, we, we, we think about God. Um, we imagine Him to be close, but it doesn't look like He has any power. What's He doing? So to frame this, let's, let's think about this question. How can we know that God is both present and powerful? Depending on the situation around the room. Maybe you're searching for a new job right now. And you might trust that God's for you, like He cares about you, but it just seems like He's far from your situation. Maybe you're you're trusting the Lord uh, earnestly, eagerly, awaiting a spouse. And for you, you you trust that you trust that He cares. It's just that He doesn't seem to be around in this part of your life. How can we know? How can we know that God is powerful and? present with us how can we know that God is able to work in our circumstances and available right here and now to work in our circumstances how can we know how can we know that God can get involved in every facet of our lives and that he cares how can we know he's both the history of trying to understand Jesus has been emphasizing one extreme or the other. Emphasizing His transcendence, the idea that He's there and He's good, yet He's just massive and He's removed. Or emphasizing His eminence. He's good. He cares. He's just not big and powerful and able to enter into all of our lives and all of our situations. We gather in here this afternoon maybe emphasizing one aspect or the other, gathering, emphasizing his power, emphasizing his ability, but wondering, is he for me? Like practically in the needs that I'm going to face tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Practically when I turn up at work again on Monday, is he able to enter into my situations? So how do we know? That's our question. How do we know that he can and he cares? How can we know that he is able and available? How can we know he is both present and powerful? Hebrews 13.5 says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here we get to hear from him yet again from the cross. And this third word, from the cross, answers our question clearly for us all Let's see it one more time. John chapter 19, verses 23 and 27. If you wanted to study this in one of those Bibles available near your seat, we invite you to do that. If you don't have a Bible at your house, just walk out of here with one of those. Um, they're gifts to you. We have a few more we can set out next week. Be delighted for you to take one. Here it is. John chapter 19, verses 23 to 27. This remarkable scene captures the fact that Jesus can and Jesus cares. Jesus cares. This picture of Jesus shows that he is powerful and he is present with his people. He's spoken to the Father. Father, forgive him. He's spoken to a repentant criminal. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And now, his attention shifts as he focuses on his mom gathered at the foot of the cross with a few others. His mother Mary is here. We are right to understand her as being vulnerable in this moment. She's at least in her late 40s, probably in her 50s. At this moment in time, she's probably dealing with little to no income in a male-dominated society. Her son, the carpenter, is hanging on a cross right now. You can imagine his ability to materially provide for his mom is now at risk. She's watching that being drained right before her very eyes. She could not defend herself in court, not in a male-dominated society. And we know her husband, Joseph, has passed away. So here she is with no protector, no defender, save the one hanging on the tree right in front of her. Jesus' mom is vulnerable. She's in a situation, and Jesus sees her. I want you to think about the context of this, though. Like, Even as he's in immense pain, he sees her. Even as the blood is being drained from his body, he has eyes for her, and he has the presence of mind to be sure that his mother will be cared for. You see both. There he is. He is present, and what you're going to see next, he is powerful as well. May We focus in on those first two verses, verses 23 and 24, because they give us the context and the contrast for what we see happening here. The contrast is this, the soldier's, are at the cross as well, and they're dispensing death, and they're hanging garments. So there's two groups of people gathered around the foot of the cross. Some aren't building life. Some are taking life. And here hangs Jesus, using his dying breaths to facilitate relationship for other people. He's hanging. He's dying. He's giving out. And as he's giving out, he's bringing relationships that bring life. He's literally making a family. What do all these words mean? It means that Jesus and only Jesus can speak words that constitute relationship and life. The cross, the place of death, Jesus is there aiming at bringing life. The cross, the place where families get torn apart, yet here hangs Jesus, being sure that people are going to be paired up and they're going to be family and be taken care of. Through him, we have access to the Father. So I want you to see the context. I want you to feel the contrast of events. See the soldiers gathering around, looking to divide up his garments, and then see him there. Some are standing here to tear relationships apart. See him hanging there, bringing relationships together. Soldiers are here, treating him as if he's already dead and gone. Yet the one who is still alive is speaking with royal authority, bringing people together in relationship. So it leads to the question that we'll consider in the background of this for a few moments. Who is in God's family? Who gets to be in? He looks at his physical earthly mom and says, behold your son. He looks at his disciple, not his blood relative, by the way, and says, behold your mom. Who gets to be in God's family? There's a small group of people gathered around at the foot of the cross, but not everybody's in. So what makes you in and what makes you out when it comes to Jesus? Well, have a look at verse 25. Near the cross is the context for all of this. There's a small people gathered, small group of people gathered near the foot of the cross. I want you to imagine this, though. Just imagine if this was happening in London. Just imagine if this were taking place right down the way, say someplace like Marble Arch. There'd be different ways to observe the interaction. Some of us could choose to observe this from a safe distance. Maybe you go stand further into Hyde Park where you can just make out over the horizon of the back of people's heads. You could just see this happening. You could choose closer. You could stand in the street. I mean, you're not all the way to the cross, but you're not all the way back in Hyde Park. Consider the people gathered near the foot of the cross. Some people are choosing to stand by in a place that would even be costly to them. You know the background. Religious leaders have put him here. Crowds have put him here. The soldiers have put him here. And now they're just mocking him as he bleeds out. Standing right there, standing right next to a political criminal is where a few people chose to be involved. His mother is there. And the disciple whom he loved is standing there. Mary Magdalene is standing there, and Mary, Mary, Mary of Clopas is standing there as well. What does it mean to stand at the foot of the cross? To stand at the foot of the cross would have meant that you're identifying with him in his suffering. It's a way of saying, I, I can't be there with you, but I can stand as close as physically possible to it. I can identify with this. But it wouldn't be easy. Can you imagine? Man and woman alike, can you imagine standing there and watching someone who was bloody and bruised, someone who'd been kept up all night being tortured, someone who was being physically tortured right before your eyes? You can see the blood drip from the elbows. And they were standing there. Wouldn't it be easy, but they chose to. They chose to gather at the foot of the cross, Now they're at the foot of the cross because Romans chapter 8, 14 to 17 is true. For those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. The Spirit that you receive does not make you slaves so that you fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive have brought you adoption as sonship. In Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we're children. If we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed... We share in his sufferings in order that we may also share with him in glory. It fascinates me that God could have accomplished this however he wanted to. And God chose to deliver the world, not by going around suffering, but by going right through suffering. And the invitation for everybody who belongs to God is we're going to find ways. We're going to share in the sufferings of Christ. For some of us, this will mean how we act Monday to Friday in the workplace. We choose to stand with Jesus at the foot of the cross. We choose to share in his sufferings so one day we can share with him in glory. For others of us, God puts a call on our lives to move to a new place. You don't know people. You just find all sorts of ways to share in the sufferings of Christ, setting up life, living in a new place for the sake of other people knowing about Him. Sharing in the sufferings of Christ. One of the characteristics of the children of God is that we share in the sufferings of Jesus. It is sometimes painful. It is oftentimes shameful. But it's what it means to be near God. And consider the other thing they could do at the foot of the cross. These other cries that we're going to hear in the next couple of weeks as he's nearly out of life. They're going to be loud shouts that you could have picked it up if you were further off in Hyde Park. But this one right here, this is a word that requires closeness. It requires physical proximity. Not just of heart, but of physical bodies. You have to be near to him to hear what he says today. Standing there meant listening to his voice. He's saying something to Mary, and he's saying something to John, and he isn't addressing everybody else. Here in Redeemer, we define discipleship as the process of hearing, trusting, and obeying the voice of God. Behold, the disciples gathered around the cross, hearing him, trusting him, and as we'll see, obeying him. They're standing near Maybe not the best English translation. Marshall Hoffman describes it like this. They were standing near, but it's a verb that literally means to lean in. So they're leaning in in this moment. Had they not been standing at the very foot of the cross with all the commotion, they might not have heard the third word that was directed to them. Many of the last of the seven words are spoken loudly for all to hear, but this word was hardly more than a whisper. Jesus has a word for you. He is not so occupied with saving the world that he can overlook you. He has a word that is tailored to meet your needs. So the question for us is, are you standing near the foot of the cross? Are you leaning in? Come in close. Maybe you can hear it. If you could just acknowledge that in your heart as a possibility right now, whether you are close to God, you've repented of your sins, and you're one that's close to God, you belong to God, or if you're someone you just know you're a bit far from God, you're not all the way in. This stuff doesn't sound super far into you, but you you know you're, you're not all the way in. I wonder, could you just doubt your doubts? Could you suspend judgment? What if for a few minutes you just allowed your soul in the gentleness of this moment just to lean in a little? Maybe you can hear him. Maybe he wants to speak to you. Indeed, he does. So many of the words that are to come, they're they're going to be loud. This is a word for those who are leaning in, who are praying with the prophet Samuel, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Speak, Lord, we're listening even now. Standing there is an act of obedience on their part. Just hours before, Jesus asked for prayer. His disciples, of course, couldn't stay up with him. Then he's arrested He probably wanted more of his disciples near him. You imagine what it's like for you when you're going through a hard time. Maybe when you've had a broken heart, you're suffering from a damaged relationship. What's often good? No matter how introverted you are, eventually you want a few people just to be with you. See their obedience, standing near the foot of the cross, being with him, going where he is. What fascinates me is that in Mark chapter three, verses twenty to twenty one, and then in verses thirty-one to thirty-five, we considered this teaching just a few weeks ago. The context of this is Jesus had been out teaching all day, became so popular that a crowd had gathered around him, and Jesus is actually sitting in a packed out room, and his physical family comes up to the door. Now, as we saw in verses 20 to 21, it's a very aggressive word that they have here. They've come to apprehend him. The context of this word leads us to understand they think he's lost it mentally. They think he's gone crazy, and they're coming to capture him and to kind of take him home. And the word makes it into Jesus. Jesus, by the way, uh, your family's outside. And you'll remember what Jesus said in that moment. Jesus looks around the room, and Jesus says, here's my family. Here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters and my fathers. Whoever does the will of God is my family. We almost have that ringing in our ears as the focus now turns and we're standing at the foot of the cross. And we're watching his mother Mary, and we're watching the disciple John stand there. And then we hear the words, woman, behold your son. It's the first words of what he has. They're important words just in the gospel of John alone because if you go back to the way the gospel of John began, they actually began with this very word, behold. It's a powerful word. It's been used many times. John the Baptist, upon seeing Jesus at the beginning of the book, he says, behold, there he goes, the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. But beholding is kind of like leaning in. It's not a passing glance. It's sustained attention. It's to see with the senses, to look at him and realize who, what he's saying, to look at him and realize who he is. So the invitation to behold, this is not a passive suggestion that's given to us. John the Baptist wasn't saying, look, if you can kind of work it into your week, I know it's a lot going on out there, but if you can just kind of work this in, behold him. It's just not what the word means. It's an interjection. It's a command. It's a firm word. The four exclamations you see in this cha- in this chapter, the in John chapter 19, the two from Pilate, "Behold the man." Then you see it again, "Behold your king." And the two of the Lord, "Behold thy son." And then you're going to hear it one more time, "Behold thy mother." It's a remarkable picture of who Jesus is and what He's revealing to the world. Behold the man. Behold the king. Behold the son. Behold the mother. It's a command given to each and every one of us to look at him, to think about him, even in this moment, to think about him. Behold, it's a word that sums up every descendant from Adam and Eve. It's our great heart need to behold him, not to look anywhere else, not to get lost in the the beauty of any other idol any other relationship, any other dynamic, but to behold him. And what does it mean to behold him? We can just consider the life of the woman Mary, his mom. Has a lot to say. Before Jesus was born, she was visited by an angel. The angels are describing him up. Look, you're going to have a son. I know, no husband. Don't worry worry about it. We're going to get through this. You're going to have a son, and his name's going to mean salvation. He's going to... Deliver the world. He's going to fulfill prophecies. His forgiveness of sins are going to go front. They're going to flow from him. And then he's born, and she's given more words about what this is going to be like. And like many of us, it's it's easy to understand. Like I don't know if she's totally getting everything that's being said to her right now. Jesus turned twelve. He stayed behind in Jerusalem. They forget him somehow, and the caravan turns around. They run back. They find him. You know the story. It's like Jesus. Where in the world were you? We were over here. What are you doing? In that moment, he's like, I was in my father's house. I was where I belong. It's like they're looking to him. They're listening to him, but they're not totally getting what's being said to him. They bring him home. So it's the idea like Mary's life is one of like looking at him, but, but not really seeing him. Her life's one of listening to him but not fully getting everything that he's saying and everything that he's offering. You see it again when uh, he did his first miracle. They're at the party, run out of wine. You can, you can hear Mary the mother a little more than you can hear Mary the disciple. Oh, don't worry. My son is going to take care of this. Gets him, thrust him into the situation. And you can see in the tension of their interaction. Woman, my time hasn't come. What are you doing? It's not time yet. So you can see like she's with him. She's looking at him. She's listening to him. But it's it's not all coming together. It's not all completely making sense. And then here we are at John 19. And something has shifted. John 19, yes, is a physical mother looking at a physical son. But there's another dimension to the relationship now. She's a disciple, and she's standing at the foot of her Savior, and she's beholding him in a new way. Her posture is different. She's not the mom just trying to solve for the wine at the party. She's not the mom of Mark chapter 3, knocking on the door, arms outside, folded up with the brothers, saying somebody needs to go get him. Something has changed. She's softer she's not bossing jesus around she's not yelling at the soldiers telling them they're screwing everything up it's like she understands what she's seeing she's beholding him she's realized god's given this one a purpose she's put the pieces together by the power of the holy spirit and she understands here comes the cross the saving of the sins of the world is at hand She doesn't approach him how she approached him before. She's demonstrating real faith here. Not just the awareness of a mother, but the faith of a disciple. So here she stands as a disciple. Yes, a mom, but as a disciple. Looking at him, looking at him, and looking at him. It's just good for us to remember God's in control. We're on a journey and we're, we're seeing him. We're thinking we're understanding this, but revelation is progressive and we don't get the full download all at once. We actually have to have some tension in our struggle, in our story. There's some struggle to the story and we're gonna go back and forth before we hear him, trust him and fully obey him. So you just imagine what a phrase for Jesus to look at her and say, behold your son. Just as saying, lean in. Jesus is saying, Look at this. Jesus is saying, Realize what's happening right before you. But what's interesting is he says, Behold your son. And the focus, the camera, pans over to John. And then he says to him, Son, behold your mother. So to the one standing at the cross with the other disciples, directs the attention over to John. Who is John? John's the disciple whom Jesus loved. We're going to get some more of John's story in in just a little bit, but it's this one disciple Jesus had like an especially close, like healthy man-to-man friendship and relationship with. It It was his closest and most trusted disciple. It's interesting for us to consider. He's not a physical bloodline brother of Jesus. He's just some dude that's been incorporated into this mission. So it starts leading us to consider what's going on in the family of God, who gets to be a part of the, the people of God? Well, the person who's close to Jesus by relationship and not by family tie gets the assignment to care for Jesus' mom. Jesus is rewriting things here. Through his own blood, he's doing something completely new. He's given his disciple, he's given his mother over to the disciple, and he's given the disciple the privilege of being able to look after his mom. There's something very unique happening here, though. You might be tempted to look at this and consider, well, this is really good for Mary. Like, she's vulnerable, right? Like, she's the one with all the needs in this equation. Here, here stands this, like, fully endowed man, and John, he's able to take care of her. He's going to be able to look after her. He's going to be able to provide her. Not so fast, my friends. I think there's, there's more to it than that. But what is God doing? God is making a new family at the foot of the cross, People who did not belong to him by physical blood relationship are literally made family. He fuses them together at the foot of the cross. And I'll be really honest about this. For some of us in this room, this sounds like good news. This sounds good news, like this is good news to us. Because our family of origin was just really rough. And the idea that you can inherit Another family that's gonna be real family to you, like family for this life and the life to come. For some of us in here, that's that's really good news. You you look back on your family of origin and you kind of look around the room right now, and for some of us, that feels like an upgrade in life. And here's how this also lands in the room. For others of us in this room, we hear this and we think, this isn't good news. We think, I, I like my family of origin we think, I don't know if I want to get wrapped up with a bunch of other people who are different than me. We sit here and we, we see this and we think, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus is going to take his physical mom and Jesus doesn't say, somebody go get James, the next in line, his next physical brother. Bring James. I got I to pair these up right now. Jesus looks at someone who is not related to his mom and Jesus says, family. And some of us, we hear this and, and, and we think, I, I, I don't know if I want to be a part of this. I, I kind of like having things where it's going to be my own. Here's what our culture says. Our culture says how to solve this deep, deep longing for intimacy that we all have is you just need friends, right? You even remember the popular TV show, right? How did they get along? Like how were they around each other? in the TV show Friends. It was people who looked like one another, who talked like one another, who enjoyed going to the same coffee shop, enjoyed the same jokes, had the same aspirations in life. And there's a popular vision for how we satisfy this longing for intimacy that we all have in our hearts. But God has something for us better than choosing our friends, choosing our affinities, just working within our class, working within our skin color, working within our particular strata. God has something much better to connect us with people who are not like us. Family gets reborn at the foot of the cross. God's people made up of a bunch of people who hear and trust and obey, made up of a bunch of people who identify with Jesus. Willing to get around, willing to gather in, willing just to stand there. And it happens at the foot of his cross. And consider what happens next, verse 27. John then took Mary as his own. The phrase, as his own, is, is some, translated in some translations to his home. The end of verse 27. This is identical with the words that you see at the beginning of John's work. John's a literary master. I mean, he's a Jedi with this stuff. He goes all the way over to chapter one and he tells us at the very outset, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. And then here at the foot of the cross, that phrase has been hanging around for a while and he brings it back. And he says, and then John took her in and John did receive her. So Jesus came to his own and his own didn't receive him. But there at the foot of the cross, he tells one to take another and the other takes the other as his own. He says, look at my mother. He says, look at your son. And after that moment, a family was formed. I want you to see that he's meeting Mary's needs here, but he's also meeting John's needs as well. Jesus is meeting needs as he hangs on the cross. He's the best gift that God could ever give. is the gift of one another. So here's, here's how this works in our lives practically. For some of us, we're praying to God actually, and for others of us, if you are not a Christian, you might have a longing in your heart that's going out. You might even mutter these things to yourself, even praying them to God without even knowing it, and we're asking God for a group of people to belong to. Our, our families of origins don't understand us. The physical families that we enjoyed in this world, we're estranged from, and we're walking around London It's a place of 11 million people just dying for someone to look at us and talk to us. And look at what God provides through the cross. A family, a community of people that you can know and you can love and you can belong to. This is a gift, my friends, that God is handing over to humanity. It's not based on who's going to look at one another and say, we kind of look alike, we kind of smell alike, we kind of talk alike. Let's just start hanging out all the time. He does something better than that. He brings people together and he makes people family. So very practically, I realize like it's a diverse room today. If we could just consider to ourselves, let's realize the person sitting right next to you. Jesus loves that person. That person is made in the image of God. Jesus is on the cross for that person in John chapter 19. He's in a grave after that and he rises from the dead to save and give life to that person just wants to care for that person through you. And some of the things that happen back there in the little vestibule airlock thingy next to the door, when people just like poke their heads in on this, sometimes even coming in with real, real needs, what a place of privilege in this whole community to get to be there and look other image bearers in the eye and realize God made you, God knows you, Jesus offers to forgive you and I get to tend to you and receive you. What a service that's provided, not not just to families, but to the children that are gathered right up there behind that wall right now, where there's not babysitting taking place, it's discipleship that's taking place and evangelism that's taking place. As adults that have been pouring it out for five or six days all across London, say, you know, it'd probably be great to sit down there and have a cup of tea and just some space to think, but I'm gonna give an hour to pouring into these kids that are made in the image of God, that are known by God, and God wants to know them and relate to them and save them. I'm going to pour my heart out to them. I'm going to pour my life out for them. Maybe the greatest gift that God's given us is the person seated right beside us. If you're anything like me, you're guilty of telling God, God, this is what I need, and this is what I need it to look like, and this is how it goes. And then I turn around, and I go through the week, and somebody's like, hey, Um, I was thinking about you, had you on my heart. I just wanted to tell you this. And I'm like, okay, thank you, bless you. God, this is what I want. This is what it needs to look like. This is what it is. When all the while, God is speaking to us through our family. He's trying to love us. He's trying to care for us. He's trying to provide for us through the people who are all around, right? So who gets to be in God's family? Haven't seen it. Let's look at it all together. Who gets to be in God's family? We can see it. It's right up there at the foot of the cross. Those who obey God's will. They get to be in God's family. Who else gets to be in God's family? Those who behold the Son. They get to be in God's family, who look at Him and like attentively realize who they're looking at. Not some sort of passive interaction mistaking Him, but they're able to behold Him. Who else gets to be in God's family? Those who are reborn through the the Spirit. Romans 8 teaches us and tells us about this. Who gets to be in God's family? What we've seen so far, those who repent and believe. We understand this word took place after he forgave the guy who repented who was hanging right next to him. And then you would even want to think, well, what about those people who are not near the cross? What about those people for one reason or another, they chose to stand in the street, not at the foot of the cross? What about those people who are standing halfway into Hyde Park and they can't hear this? God has a word to say, but the people, they, they refuse to be at the foot of the cross. What, what, do, do they get to hear from this God at all? What about you? You're far from God, like you're not around this, like you're not a foot of the cross every week kind of person. What about you? Just look at what he did when he came down from the cross. He ran off and he got Peter, brought him back and restored him with those questions in John 21, 15 to 17. The news for you is when we simply turn around, when we simply repent, when we simply embrace the love of God, you can walk forward in obedience. Think about his physical brother, James one of his biological brothers. Interestingly, of all the brothers, the one that's named in Mark chapter 3 didn't believe in Jesus. Interestingly, at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus isn't going to pair them up because he's not a disciple. He doesn't have faith yet, so he's not inheriting mum. Jesus went off and found James. And 1 Corinthians 15 verses 4 through 7 tells us that Jesus went to James and Jesus brought James in. So God's heart is to go after the lost sheep. And you're sitting here this afternoon and you're wondering, I just thought I was coming to the school hall to hang out with some other people for a bit. But no, no, no. In the midst of this moment, God is reaching out to you. He's pursuing you in the thickness of this moment, making sure you know that when he was on the cross and you were choosing to stand far away, he's coming for you, even by proximity of you being here this very afternoon. You fast forward the script just a little bit and you see over there in Acts chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Who's in the room now? Who's waiting on the pouring out of the Holy Spirit? It's James and then some of the brothers. I love it. After the resurrection, James beheld the son. James repented and believed. James received an assignment and James became head of the church in Jerusalem where he cared for people. He spent the rest of his life pouring out his life for other people. And for someone that had so many varying dynamics about family relationship, it's James' letter who says more than anyone else, we can't show favoritism when we come around to be God's family. James says this, there's going to be no like giving seats of prominence to rich people and putting poor people off to the side. It's not how God's family comes around and relates. Right, the whole thing is arguably been kind of leading to a moment just to consider for a moment. And then I'm off. Who needed this more, Mary or actually John? God cared for Mary at the foot of the cross. God cared for John at the foot of the cross. There's a way to read this, and you could kind of read it in favor of one or the other. Let's just try to read it with both of them in view. John brought a mom home that day. Imagine waking up, you didn't have a mom, you can't go to bed, and you got a mom. There you go. That's life and that's a day in the life of a full-grown man, you know? Woke up this morning and had no mom to look after. Went to bed at night, and she's in the next room. Or in these days, she's in the bed, and I'm on the floor. You know, like, this is it. Who needed this more? Is this Jesus just looking after his vulnerable mom? Male-dominated society, no income? Is that all this is? I think a lot more is happening here. Think about it. John's life changed on that day. Matthew 28, John is present when Jesus gave the Great Commission. Acts chapter 2, John is present when the Holy Spirit's poured out at Pentecost. John is present in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 when there's miraculous healing. They're brought before the authorities. John's there. But then you get over to Acts chapter 8. The gospel is moving on to Samaria. John's there. Christianity's exploding. And all of a sudden, something remarkable happens. John kind of disappears. And you're reading the pages of the New Testament looking for the one that Jesus loved. And you can be asking the question, where did he go? Where where is he? He's got all the inside knowledge on Jesus. Where did he go? Where is he? And you read Acts chapter 9, no John. You read Acts chapter 10, no John. You're like, where where did Jesus' key guy go? The, The mission is happening, but that guy's not in the story anymore. Where did he go? I want you to think about it. One Bible encyclopedia describes it like this. John is the prominent member of the Jerusalem church, and then there's silence for a season, and we don't know until he shows up late in the story as an elder in the church at Ephesus. Where is John in the story? It could be that John was busy taking care of Jesus' mom, doing the shop, living daily life, thinking it's great to be with you, but the mission is out there, and i I might be able to be a better benefit out there, but here I am with you. And T, like, I mean, you can just imagine, like, he's there with Jesus' mom. Like, this actually happened. We're not given a lot of Bible verses to tell us. We can imagine, like, what's happening in the space between this sentence and the space between this sentence? What was it like to care for his mom? Where is John in the whole story? Maybe Jesus was interested in changing someone more than Mary in this moment, though. Maybe Jesus is meeting needs in ways we can't even realize. Maybe we're looking at Jesus and we're saying, Jesus, take care of the situation. And Jesus is working, but we have to have eyes to see or even behold what's actually taking place. God will sometimes change our circumstances to care for us. Sometimes he'll care for us by leaving us in the middle of some circumstances. Think about what you know about John. As best as we know, John had a huge personality, if not some anger issues. He was named a son of thunder, for crying out loud. I've been called son of a lot of things in my life. I've never been called a son of thunder. But here he is. Jesus sees this bloke, and he says, you, you are a son of thunder. I will tell you that right now. You can just imagine what was in this guy's personality. Was it like to know him and relate to him? What was it like to be in his midst? You probably have some anger issues. You're probably a pretty loud guy. In one account, to prove this from the text, in one account... They go over to Samaria. Jesus gets rejected. John's idea? Hey, Jesus, let's call down fire and destroy him and move on. That's my vote. Let's do it. Send it. Send it. It's John, son of thunder. Later in the gospel of John, he's going to take first century selfie. He's going to say, I'm the one Jesus loved. How you doing? You know, like he's going to work this thing into the writing. But he's going to show up Later going to be the longest living disciple and he's going to show up with a sweet, humble, loving, even fatherly tone later in the story. Maybe it was the circumstantial constraints that Jesus put John in that wasn't only aimed at caring for Mary and where she was in the story. Maybe a, son of nun, maybe a son of thunder needed some love and needed some care and needed some provision that only a woman who was made in the image of God and able to mediate the, the person of God and the glory of God and the care of God into this man's life, maybe that's actually what's required to take someone from being a son of thunder to a loving father in the church. We consider the love of God. Sometimes God changes things for us by changing the stuff around us. Sometimes God leaves us in a spot to actually change what's inside of us. He was the disciple whom he Jesus loved, and yet he was going to receive care from Jesus in the days to come in ways that he would never expect. We wonder afresh, how can we know God is present and God is powerful? Quite simply, my friends, we behold the Son. We know the same way that Mary knew by looking up and beholding the one who hung on the cross for our sins. When you behold him, you can rest assured you have a gracious father. You have a powerful provision. You have one who is present with you relationally in this life and the life to come. You have one that is able to care for you and available to be near you. You have one who cares for you and he can get involved in your life and your circumstances. And you have one who is powerful and he is present. As you behold him on the cross, you see God provided, God provided a son for us who works to change in us. He provides us for one another. He is transcendent. He is high and lifted up. And my friends, he has come very near, so near that you could see the blood drip off of him as he hung on a tree. And he offers to save us and to make us family, and to send us out on a great mission together. So we need to respond to this. Now I'm gonna invite the band to come up here. Everybody, bow their heads right now. Just help us respond to this in a few different ways as we sit here in this room. Maybe you have a, a circumstance in your life that you just makes you specifically wonder where's the love of God in the middle of this. You behold the sun, and as you behold the sun. Let me just help you respond to this in a few different ways for 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 a, maybe a person in here you found your way into church this afternoon and you're just thinking you came here for one thing but you could be realized you came here for another you see the son of god hanging on a cross using his dying breaths to make a new family that transcends your family of origin. And however good news or bad news that seems to you, you see the love of the Father in providing a son for the forgiveness of your sins. Friend, if that's you in your heart right now, you repent of your sins and you receive the forgiveness of the Father. Allow him to obliterate the debt of sin that you owe him. It's forgiven in a single moment. Father, I'm sorry. That's enough. He will bring you across. My friend, if that's you, you don't have to do this, but it's a way of responding to this. Come forward for prayer here in just a minute. We want to receive you. We want to pray over you. We want to encourage you. Some of us here this afternoon, we have a relationship in our life and in our story that is just all kinds of misformed. It's, it's out of whack, to be honest. Maybe you've been looking for the strength. You've been looking for the word you receive the love of God right now as you behold this passage of scripture where Jesus hung on the tree. If we can minister to you, you as well, you come forward for prayer and we want to meet with you. Maybe you hear this this afternoon and you're looking for that community of people to live your life amongst. Some some people to be refreshed by. Here stands a church community Gathered around the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ. We want to provide warmth, want to provide ministry, want to provide care for you as we continue to grow like a fully functioning family does. We're here for you. Maybe you, in this moment, you receive the love of the Father and you receive the brothers and sisters on your right and your left in a fresh way. there's a wound in your life or your story that prevents you from fully taking this and embracing this up. Gathering at the foot of the cross, lay that wound down, lay that burden down, down at Jesus' feet. And if we can minister to you as well, you come forward for prayer, however you need, however the Spirit of God is working in your hearts now. Some time to respond to this, to sit with it for a minute. Before we carry on with our weekend. So, Father in heaven, here we are. In this moment, all of us, somewhat around the foot of the cross, beholding Jesus, thinking about Him, considering how you're going to care for each of us through Him, trying to hear His voice in the midst of all the commotion of this world. Pray that you would speak to us. Pray that you would provide what each of us uniquely need around this room. Help us, God.